Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote this in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. The real difference in the believer who follows Christ and has mortified his will and died after the old man in Christ is that he is more clearly aware than other men of the rebelliousness and the perennial pride of the flesh. He is conscious of his sloth and self-indulgence and knows that his arrogance must be eradicated. The first part of that quote is vital for us to understand that as we walk in more intimacy with Christ, the more we will recognize our own moral failures. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you understand you are less likely, less like him. Especially, you'll recognize that your flesh is nothing like him. Just let that statement sit on you for a minute. Your flesh is nothing like Jesus. Not 1%, not, nothing like Jesus. Paul says, there's nothing good in me that is in my flesh. And as we walk in more intimacy with Christ, we will recognize that the disciplines that we should have as members of a body of Christ are difficult. But the more we walk with him, the more we will be willing to admit those failures. I'm not everything I should be theologically or in the practice of that theology within this church. I don't love like I should. I don't have the joy that I should. I don't have the peace that I should. I don't have the patience that I should. The kindness or the self-control or the faithfulness or the gentleness that I should in this body of believers. You will become more keenly aware that you are wrong. But the more you walk in intimacy with Christ, the more your flesh will want to rise up to not admit that you're wrong. So the closer I get to Jesus, the more I'm going to recognize, man, I'm not everything I should be. And as soon as you say that, your flesh rises up to say, you're not the one who's wrong. Somebody else is. The only reason you weren't kind and gentle is because so-and-so said this to you first. The reason why you weren't patient is because that person's just really annoying. The reason why you didn't love right is because that person's so unlovable. So your flesh rises up in you. You know why community within the, within the church body is so difficult to live out? Because people are messy. People are messy. And it's hard to sacrifice because we don't like to be uncomfortable. We, we don't like to give of ourselves in uncomfortable places. 
makes it hard. Most of you are familiar with Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, when he says this, If anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, I think when, at least for me, when I read that, most of the time, you know what I think about? Most of the time, I think about taking up my cross, denying myself in the world. Right? Like, what does it look like to deny myself and live for Jesus in the world? But the truth is, inside of this church, within this church community, I'm supposed to deny myself, take up the cross, and follow after Jesus. Within this community, I'm supposed to do that. So let me ask you this question. What does it look like to deny ourselves, take up our cross toward our brothers and sisters in Christ? I think that's a really good question. Not just because I'm asking it, but I mean, I think it's a really good question. What does it look like for me to deny my flesh with you? What does it look like for you to deny, take up your cross with the person, with the people that are sitting in this room and the person across the aisle for you or sitting behind you or in front of you? What does that look like? As we ponder this question, I think Romans 12, 9 through 13 at least gets us started in the right direction. So you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13. This is at least going to get us focused in the right direction. I mean, the truth is 14 following, we could keep going, but I'm going to stop in 13 today. I think that'll be enough to convict us. And make us, give us some stuff to really think about. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. And here's what Paul writes. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Before we jump into these words, let's look at the context of chapter 12. Chapter 12 is not a, not a chapter that is written to tell the church how to live out in the world. Chapter 12 is written to show the church how they're supposed to live among the church. It starts in chapter 12 by saying, listen, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Then he focuses on the gifts of God that are given to the church and how those gifts should be used to bless the church. So before we ever get into our text, Paul is, he's wanting us to think about how this is supposed to play out within the church. So what I want to do this morning as we walk through this text is I want us to, to focus in or gear in on these words and how they apply for us as a covenant community. How do I live these words out with the people I go to church with? 
Brother James told this story, and I, I don't know uh, if it was you and Jan. Just kidding, it wasn't you and Jan. Um, but you've told this story about how a woman is washing dishes and a, her husband comes up to her and puts his arms around her and kisses her on the cheek and said, babe, I just want you to know I'd die for you. And the next day, she's washing dishes and he comes up and he puts his arms around her, kisses her on the cheek and says, babe, I just want you to know I'd die for you. And this just happened day after day after day. And one day, and she always said thank you and she appreciated it. One day he does the exact same thing and this time she looks at him and says, thank you, I, I really appreciate it. But in the, in the meantime, will you live for me and help me wash some dishes? And when Jan said that to Brother James, it really <laughs> touched his heart. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I love that story. The first time he shared it, man, it just, it just stuck out to me because there's so much truth behind that. Church, we're not just supposed to lay down our lives for the church. We're supposed to live for the church. And so these verses are going to help us do that. And so what I've done in my points is all my points are deny, right? Take up a cross, follow Jesus. How do, what do we deny from this text that will help us sacrificially serve one another? First, deny fraudulent love. Deny fraudulent love. Deny fake love. In verse 9 says, let love, that word love is the word agape. Most of us, I think, are familiar with the Greek word agape, right? It's that unconditional sacrificing love, right? This unconditional sacrificing love. But here's the interesting thing about the word agape. If, um, if you were to study the word agape, just do a word study on the word agape, um, D.A. Carson points this out in his book, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. He, he says that the word agape actually has no emotion tied to it. Okay? So if you're just doing a word study, the word agape has no emotion that's wrapped up in it. And I don't think what Paul wants is for you to serve the church, for you to love the church with no emotion. So when he adds this word genuine to it, when he says, let love be genuine, I think what he's saying is, yes, you need to sacrificially serve, have agape love for the church, but it needs to come from your heart. It needs to be genuine and real. You guys all know what it's like to do something and not really want to do it, right? To do something like I'm going to do it, but I don't want to do it. I'm going to do this, but my heart's not in it and my spirit's not in it. And we do it. We get it done. But Paul is saying, listen, I don't want you to sacrifice and love each other that way. I want you to love each other from the heart. I want it to be genuine. I want you to serve and sacrificially serve one another from the heart. Real, genuine agape love with affection behind it, with emotion behind it. I mean, we all know what it's like to go to a restaurant and have a 
a waiter just do their job or to actually do their job with some passion. There's a big difference, isn't it? Here's your tea, sir. Want some sweet and low with it? All right, hang on. And when that service isn't good, you know what we're tempted to do? I ain't giving them 20%. But you'll come to church and serve people like that. You'll come to church and serve your brother and sister in Christ with that same kind of lack of heart love. And that's supposed to make people rejoice and be encouraged. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Let love be genuine. So deny fraudulent, fake love. Now, the rest of these are either couplets or triplets. They, they kind of are all linked together. The next one is deny evil. It says abhor what is evil. The word abhor is the strongest word for hate found in the Bible. Hate what is evil. And know what we can quickly do? Amen. This lost world we got. That's what, we, that's what we can quickly do. Man, I hate that evil out there in the world. Let me ask you a question. You hate the evil you do? With the same hatred that you hate the evil that's happening out there in the world? Oh, it's so easy to point the finger at the world as Christians and say, man, I tell you what, you know what would fix America? Those lost people out there just got their act together. You know lost people don't get their act together, right? You know what I, would, you know what I think would go a long way to help America? If the church started hating the evil in their own lives. Amen. This week, I got plenty of time this morning, so. This, this week... Um, I was listening to a conservative talk show host talking about the transgender issue and and um, everything he said was was I agreed with it. He was he was on point. He was talking about um, the, uh, you know, the dangers of it, the dangers for the person involved in it and and the dangers that can come um, within a family and a society. And so he's talking about all that and, and I'm agreeing with him. And and he's then he's talking about abuse. And the, uh, if someone is is their sexual identity is so messed up in themselves, then, then abuse can take place. And I'm looking at all that, and I, and, and, and I just stopped, though, for a moment. And I said, I can imagine Christians right now just amening this and just, you know, saying this is the problem, the abuse within kids. It's because of homosexuality, and it's because of transgenderism. And it, Do you know that there is not a week that goes by that I don't read a story of a minister or a a church leader of some sort that, ha that is involved in abuse of children within the church. Oh, so easy for us to point the finger and say, issues out there, the issues out there, the issues out there. But the stories come out from within the confessing body of believers. Do you hate what is evil? In your own life, do we hate what is evil within this church? It's a tough question. 
But it's not good enough just to hate what is evil in your own life or hate what is evil in, within the church. We have to hold fast to what is good. That word, hold fast, it was a word that, that it, it was what they used for glue. It means to stick. What we've got to do, and, and I think what Paul's getting at here, is when we hold fast to good, what he's saying is take the good and stick it to your soul. Make that the core of your being. Grab a hold of it and make it your life's passion to do good. To do good. Hate what's evil in your own life. And glue good to your soul. And if we do that within a congregation, oh man, we got a church that hates evil. We We don't put up with evil in our midst. We don't put up with evil in our lives, and we are holding fast to that, to that which is good. I'm convinced if you've got a bunch of people that are doing that, when you get out in the lost world, you're going to make an impact and a difference. It's so easy for us just to look at the lost world and think they're the problem. And I love the church. I love the church with a passion. I, Surrender to minister to the church. But if I love the church, and myself included, then I got to be able to look in the mirror. We got to be able to look in the mirror and say, what's our problem? What's our issue? And then when that flesh rises up to say, well, the issue's not here. The issue's out there. We kill that. Next, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Deny quitting on your family. Next, we find the idea of brotherly love. Phileo, the Brotherly love. This love is a love that is shared by a common community or it is shared by a common family, a common group. It's the love that we have for one another in the church. It's supposed to be the kind of love we experience in our families between parents and children, between siblings and parents, between siblings and siblings. Unfortunately, that is not the attitude that we find within our churches today. Here's the attitude we usually find in our churches. I'm going to find a church that has all the programs that my kids and I need in my life. I'm going to find all these programs that I I need. And we're going to go to this church until they stop providing what I think the program should be, or, or the pastor says something that ruffles my feathers or steps on my toes, and then I'm just going to take my, my family and I'll just go to the next one. I'll, I'll find the next church that I think meets all of my needs. And I heard one pastor say, I think it was uh, Malcolm Ellis said, you know you're never going to find the perfect church because as soon as you go to it, you'll make it imperfect. Right? Like as soon as you get there, you're going to start messing things up. Many times we avoid certain people in the church. We have no affection for them. 
No family love for them. This should not be. We are a family, guys. We're a family. And sometimes family gets in fights and gets in arguments and gets in disagreements and you got to deal with them. But if you love me, you'll deal with them. You won't pack up, call it quits, and go somewhere else. That's not what love does. And we got so many people that are involved in churches that will pack it up and move and quit at the drop of a hat. It's crazy to me. There, there have been people that have left here for a myriad of reasons. Most of the time it's Brother James' fault. But, uh, <laughs> and the truth, is, the, the truth is, is that when Brother James hired me all these years ago, he didn't know that there'd be quite a few people that have left the church and they point the finger right at Neil and say, I'm leaving because of him. Um, and that is, there is a lot of truth to that. And, and a lot because of my dad. But... Um, <laughs> But it's amazing to me. There are people right here in these pews that had the same disagreements as the people that left. Follow me here, right? I can just speak about the situations that have been with me personally. They, they got upset with either something I did, something I said, or something that I taught. And they packed it up and they left. There are other people in here that got upset with something I taught or something I said or something I did and they stayed and they did some, some hard work. We had to do some hard work with each other and have some hard conversations and work some things out. And now they've been here for seven, eight years after that event and not only have we both changed, sometimes they've, they have said, well, you know what? I'm glad I didn't leave because I agree with Neil now. What if I would have packed it up and left? Or, you know what? I'm glad I didn't leave. I gave Neil a chance to, to make it right, to apologize, to ask for forgiveness. To... See, that's what a family does. You grow together, right? That's, that's the goal of the family, to grow together. I hope that I am a better father and husband now than I was 20 years ago. I hope that my family has grown together. I hope that our church grows together. Well, we're not going to have any opportunity to grow together if you're not here with us because you pack it up and leave. That's not brotherly love. Deny that. Dedicate yourself for your family. Don't quit on us. Don't quit on us. Next, deny pride. We are then told that we are to outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. We all know that pride is at the root of almost all of our issues. Pride is at the root of almost all of our issues. And we will never honor other people if we're not humble. You will never honor anybody else if you're not humble. Here's why. Because it's hard to honor others when you want to be the one who's honored. So when your pride is in control of you, and you're allowing your flesh to control you, you don't, want to, you don't want anybody else in the church to be honored because you want that honor for yourself. You want to be the one who looks great. So if you're pointing at other people and, and bragging on them and loving on them and lifting them up and, and telling them that they're great, then all of a sudden, 
I may not be the one who looks great. Now, I'm going to brag on Brother James. You know, I've teased him twice, so I'm going to brag on Brother James because I think this is important. It would not be easy for any pastor to hire me, okay, for a lot of reasons, but I can be stubborn and hard-headed. I want to teach. I want to preach. I, and there are a lot of pastors who would not want a staff member on their staff who had those same gifts as the pastor. There are a lot of pastors who don't want other pastors on their staff that can preach. Right? Well, because what if, what if people like their preaching and not my preaching? And then, and then what if, So churches don't, when Brother James and I talked about like doing kind of some co-preaching stuff, one of the things that I said to Brother James, I said, Brother James, most churches don't have two people that can preach. We've all, now praise God, we've always had, Brother David's always been here and, and we have two people who can preach. But the truth is, it's not because they can't go hire somebody else who can preach. It's because they don't want anybody else that can preach. Because then the honor may go to somebody else. Well, well, man, people really amen when, when Brother James preached. And last time I, I preached, I, I didn't have as many amens. And man, do they. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we laugh at it because it's silly, but our flesh don't think it's silly. Our flesh loves this kind of junk. And it says a lot about our pastor that he even allows me to come up here and preach. It speaks to the humility that we're all supposed to have. Brother James wants me to be good at, at preaching. He wants me to succeed in ministry. I, I, I don't, listen. We don't care who you think preaches better. We don't care who you think is a better minister between me and Brother James and my dad and, and David when he was here and, and Tyler. And, and I don't care that when David preaches on Wednesday nights that the kids always like it more. And that's just a fact that happens. It is true. The teenagers love David more than me. I don't know what's happened. It's just it's just happened. It's just it's just the thing. But my point is, David preached Wednesday night. It was the best gathering of text and information that David has ever preached. And I told him that afterwards. It was tremendous how he laid everything out and the clarity of it and and how he made something difficult, simple. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. I want him to be honored for that. My flesh wants to say, you know, you could have not let him preach that good a message. (laughs) Just preached it for yourself, you know. But that's not what we're doing here. I want to love him and honor him, and I want the kids to be blessed by him. We're a family. We, our preaching ministry and teaching ministry here at this church, it's not about one person. It's about preaching the word of God and edifying the believers. That's what we're doing here, and that's got to be the attitude that we all have about everything. You know, last year I decorated this and 
I didn't get near as many people saying it was as good as people are saying this year. I mean, stop that nonsense. Why did you do it in the first place? Did you do it so people would tell you that you did a great job at it, or did you do it because you want to love people in the church with it? And I call it nonsense, not because I'm mad at you, because that's the ridiculousness of our flesh. It will find anything it can to rise up and make you a big deal. We got to deny that. Quick to show respect. Quick to acknowledge the accomplishments of others. Quick to demonstrate genuine love by not being jealous or envious. That has no part in love. Deny your pride. Deny your self-honor and honor others. And then deny laziness. Look at this. The next three phrases go together. He says, do not be slothful or lazy in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Now, we won't have time to think of ourselves near as much and try to honor ourselves near as much if we'd get busy serving the Lord. When you sit around thinking about how to self-serve, you're going to have plenty of time to try to honor yourself and think of ways to be upset. When you get busy serving, when you get busy serving the church, you won't have near the same amount of time to think about yourself. We should be a busy people. Busy about the kingdom of God. It is amazing how you won't have time to run others down when you're serving them. But we've got to make sure that we don't burn out in our busyness. So we've got to make sure we have the right fervent spirit about us. It's not just do not be slothful or lazy in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. My busyness has to come from a spiritual motivation. Not busy for just being busy. That's how you burn out and not take care of yourself. I'm not talking about not taking care of yourself. I'm talking about living in such a way from the spirit of God in you and having a proper spirit about you that you want to be busy serving people. And when you're busy serving those people in a proper spirit, you won't want to run them down. You won't want to bring them low. You'll want to exalt them and lift them high. I mentioned David a while ago. You may tell you who, who is a much better theologian than David. His wife. Is that a fact, David? I remember when Shelby came here, she was like in ninth grade or something. And she was, you know. I mean, she was Noel in, uh, as a freshman. And uh, <laughs> it, just, it was just it's amazing. And uh, and it has been one of the joys of my life to watch her grow into the woman that she is. Now, now Shelby and I, I, I would say this. I mean, me and Brother James have butted heads. Me and my wife butt heads all the time. Outside of that, I don't think there's anybody that I've butted heads with more in this church than Shelby. And now, most of the time, that's Shelby's fault. I ain't gonna lie to you. <laughs> don't get me started. No, but, but Shelby and I, I mean, we have had arguments. We have had fights. We have, you know, but one thing that, that has always been evident in her life is that she has truly wanted to serve the people of this church. She loves those junior high girls 
in a way that I don't think anybody else in this church can do it. Okay, I spend a few minutes with them. I'm like, Shelby, you're going to take over. Go, go, go deal with them. And the reason why she has it burned out with dealing with junior high girls is because she's been fervent in spirit. The youth pastor, when I was, when I was in college, um, the youth pastor at Coggin Avenue Baptist Church in Brownwood, Texas, was he was probably 40, he was probably in his early 40s as the youth pastor there. And one semester, I got to actually intern with him and work with the teenagers while I was going to school at Howard Payne. Um, and at that point, he was like the oldest youth pastor I knew. I mean, he was in his 40s, and youth pastors don't... I looked it up a couple months ago. He is now, it's, it's over 20 years later, he is still the youth pastor at that church in his 60s. And I'm like, how is that possible? Like, how do you work with teenagers for 50 years? <laughs> the answer, and not burn out, fervent in spirit. <clears throat> fervent in spirit. His, his busyness and his work and his lack of laziness, is, it's not just busy work. It's not, to be busy. it's not busyness to be busy. It is fervent in spirit. God, that's the way we got to be with everybody. That's the way we got to be in this church. We got we to be about the business of, of serving the Lord and serving each other with a fervent spirit. So it's exciting and it's wonderful, diligent and fervent. And then he says, serve the Lord. Let me ask you a question. And I've used this illustration before. Jesus is not in here, in this room in the flesh, is he? Now, if Jesus were to walk in the door and say, hey, I want to eat lunch with you guys today. We would all jump up, run over to that other building as fast as possible. We'd be having people run into the grocery store. We'd have people. And, and because we want to serve Jesus the best lunch possible. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stay here as long as we want to stay here. We're going to do everything we need to do. We're going to make sure Jesus has got a good lunch today. That's the way we would act if Jesus was in this room. Jesus isn't in here in the flesh. So how can I serve Jesus? By serving you. You serve Jesus by serving each other. We're his body. Are we serving each other with the same fervor and diligence that we would serve Jesus if he was here in the flesh? Think about that question. Then he says, deny hopelessness. We have another triplet. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 1 Corinthians 13, love hopes all things. We hope against hope for our brothers and sisters. We do not take a negative view of them or give up on them or write them off. We rejoice in holding out hope. This will require patience because God's sanctification process is not always at the speed you want it to be for yourself or others. People do not always do what you want them to do when you want them to do it. In fact, sometimes their lack of sanctification affects you. It hurts you. It is true that there can be tribulation within the church. We can hurt each other. We can sin against each other. We can do some horrible things to one another. We got to be patient in the midst of that. 
trusting that the Lord will take care of my brother and sister in Christ. He is going to sanctify them. He is. You know the best way that you can hold out hope for your brothers and sisters in Christ and the best way you can be patient with your brother and sisters in Christ? Pray. Constant in prayer. Do you pray for our church? And not just in general. Do you pray for specific members of our church? What about the ones you're mad at? You pray for them? What about the one that sinned against you a couple weeks ago? You praying for them? Deny a hopelessness that can come when you start thinking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, they'll never change and they're always going to be this way. Or they're... Be patient in the tribulation that they may cause against you. Pray for them. Our last couplet concludes Paul's explanation of what it means to love genuinely. And he says this, contribute to the needs of the saints, show hospitality. This is all about sharing and giving of yourself, your possessions, as Brother James talked about last week, and those that are in need. It may be time, maybe gifts, maybe possessions, it may be money. The idea that we would be standoffish and aloof when Christians are in need is the opposite of sacrifice and genuine love. You know, when you stay at a place for a long period of time, you get to see all the trends, right? You get to see the, the trends that are happening in the church. And the truth is, we have a lot of people that come to this church or are a part of this church that rarely or never give anything around here. They don't give their time. They don't give their money. They don't give their words. They don't give anything. Now, here's what COVID did for us. As I'm looking around this room, that really ain't true for the people I'm looking at. And I think churches experience that all over the country. Those that were a part of the church, that were giving to the church, that were sacrificing for the church, that were serving for the church. After COVID hit and everybody came back, those people came back because they're like, this is what we do. We give, we serve, we, we got to be with these people. And the people that were just coming to church, that, that, that's, the, that's the real, I, I come sometimes, I don't come sometimes, I come some, because when they're not here, Ministry can keep going because they are not involved in it. Budget keeps going because they're not giving. Their absence. I, rem I remember when Brother James said once, when Bill Dawson had gotten sick and he couldn't do the stuff that he used to do around here. Brother James says when he dies, he's going to leave a hole in this church. That hole still ain't been filled because there's been times where that van has needed stuff that Brother Bill would just on it and he would do it. And 
We still have never, you know, filled that hole. Well, why is that true? Because that man gave to this people. He gave. And when, and when he wasn't here anymore, we missed that giving. So if you can disappear from this church for two months and come back and things are still rolling and there's not a hole, maybe you haven't been serving like you should. Like maybe there's something going on that, you know, people have been missing you because when you're not here, whatever you brought to the table is no longer on the table and nobody can eat it. This is about basic hospitality. The basic principle behind this Greek word hospitality is looking for opportunities to help. Actively looking for ways to contribute, to serve and sacrifice. Do you do that? Do you actively sit and think, how can I serve? How can I sacrifice? How can I make a difference at Calvary Hill? That's the basic idea of this hospitality. Looking for ways to do it. Sometimes it will be bringing people into your home or, or other times it will making pe- make people feel at home wherever they are. But deny the temptation to stand off on the fringe of the fellowship and get in there and get your hands dirty. So look at these denials. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Deny fraudulent love. Deny that. Sacrifice but sacrifice from the heart. Deny evil. Hate what is evil in your own life and hate any evil that gets in this church and then cement good to your soul. Deny quitting on family. Show brotherly affection that sticks it out with the family. Deny pride. Deny wanting to be the one that gets the glory and that gets the praise. And instead, give the glory and the praise to other people. Deny laziness. Be fervent. Serve the Lord. Don't be lazy. Deny hopelessness. God is going to sanctify us. God is going to work on us. Be patient. Pray for each other. And then deny aloofness, the idea of standing on the fringe and watching the church work while you stand at a distance and observe. If anyone wants to be my disciple, let him take up his cross and deny these things and follow Jesus. If we refuse to deny ourselves, we refuse to sacrifice for each other and to serve each other, then this church will be through. We will be done. We will shut the doors. And one day we'll be driving by here and these buildings will be used for something else or they'll be torn down altogether. But in order for us to sacrifice, we're going to have to deny ourselves, be willing to get uncomfortable. But it will be well worth it. Church, listen to me. We're going to have to get our hands dirty. We're going to have to get in the dirt and get our hands dirty. But there is glory 
in the dirt. When you plant and you sow, you get your hands dirty. But then you reap what you sow, which is the beauty of the plant or the flower that has been put in the dirt. There's beauty in the dirt. There's glory in the dirt. There's joy in the dirt. All of this is about sacrificial service. I could have got up here today and just said, hey, we're supposed to serve one another and do things for one another. But I, when Paul lays out a list like that, it gets real personal real quick. You know what I mean? It gets real personal real quick. And the truth is, we don't have the ability to change this in and of ourselves. We need to go to God. God, I beg you, give me a spirit like this. Move in me to deny my flesh so that I can live out what this church needs me to be, whatever that may look like. And that changes throughout time. There was a time when you weren't playing the guitar. You were just fluffy coming with, with Hannah. That was what I was called to told when, when he first showed up. Um, I wasn't even told that his name was Tyler. They, this is fluffy. But now he serves differently here at the church. Right? Um, there was a time that Elfrida was working the Calvary Cafe with the teenagers. Um, now she's in the sound room and trying to keep up with the nonsense that I do in the, from the stage. And, uh, and Justin's working in the, the Calvary Cafe. It's going to look different around here at different times. But if we stick around and we make this place a family and a home, then wherever the need is, we'll pick, we'll pick it up. Somebody asked me uh, one day, um, what's your ministry plans? You know, and I said, well, well what do you mean? He was like, well, you know, you're going to be a, a, a pastor one day. And this was like 10 years ago, guys. I'm like, well, I am a pastor. I mean, I, I work with teenagers a lot. I, you know, and I, I said to the man, I said, the truth is, is if my pastor came to me and said, Neil, I need you to start coordinating the nursery. Then guess what? We coordinate the nursery. We make it the be- I make it the best I can for the kids. We do what we need to do around here and we do it with joy for the blessing of this people. Because God is honored and glorified when that's the attitude we have for one another. And then somebody visits this church. Who wouldn't want to stay at a church like that? Now, if we don't have the, you know, the flashy lights they want or whatever, okay, that's fine. But if they're looking for a place, if they're looking for a place where they're going to be loved and where they're going to have space to, to love people, and grow and learn, that'll be it. And, I, and I, I praise the Lord that for all of these years, Calvary Hill has been like that. But let's not think for a second that that can't go away tomorrow or there's no room for that to grow. There's a lot of room for that to grow in our church. And let's determine today, I am going to be one of those. I don't care if nobody else in this church does it. I'm going to be one of those that does that. 
I'm going to sacrificially serve my covenant community.